if you are insistent and adamant about about you know pursuing pursuing a life in music it it will happen and like that is a that is a big trust that i had to to have in in the universe and that i still have to recommit to this is max q the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office, dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent Peabody alumni to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. This week on Max Q, I'll be speaking with baritone Ross Tamacho. Since graduating in 2018, Ross has built a career on concert music and church music, singing both as a soloist and an ensemble member. A performer with ensembles like True Concord, Conspirare, the Santa Fe Desert Chorale, and also singing with the major church music programs in the D.C. area, I was interested to catch up with him and chat about how his career grew after leaving Peabody. Great, Ross. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to reconnect with you. I'm hoping you could take a moment to just tell us a little bit about what your life looks like right now. Sure. Um, I am a freelance uh, singer throughout the D.C. Baltimore area and throughout the country, uh, primarily specializing in choral music, small ensemble music, oratorio, and art songs. I feel like so many singers, especially we were in school at the same time, came through Peabody with a kind of like expectation or understanding that opera was the the one true way, the only yes. way that you were going to make money. Yes. Um, so I guess I'm curious about uh, what was the the progression like for you to come to the realization that opera was not the only game in town? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Peabody, when I was there, it was definitely a opera forward opera focused school which was great and um i think that's what i initially thought i wanted to do and um i th- i think w- a number of things happened while i was there um i uh got a uh, fairly kind of full-time singing job with the choir of the uh national shrine church in dc and so I was singing weekly for about 49 weeks out of the year with a professional choral ensemble. And for the first time, really got to dig into the, the broader sort of choral repertoire from, from polyphony and chant to the 20th, 21st century works as well. Um, and so that was, that was a big exposure for me. I, I had always... I had always kind of had this interest in in choral and ensemble um, singing and ensemble music, um, but I didn't really know that that there was a path for that, and I didn't know that like that people <laughs> that people uh, did that in their in their career. And um, but it was always like a huge huge interest of of, of mine. Like in my undergrad. Um, the ensemble uh, Vaches Eight came and performed, and and that was just really mind blowing for me at the time. Um, and they were one of my favorite ensembles, and 
I think back then I, I really wanted, oh, I want to really want to do that. Like that would be really, really cool. But it didn't seem possible Like because they're, they're a group in, in the UK. And I was like, okay, that's, that's what the UK does. It's different. But, um, <laughs> but the, the, these were, these were just notions that I created that's in my mind. And so I, I, and I think, uh, the American conservatory system is very focused on, on opera and, so I thought that that's what I, what I had to do. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, but I quickly then, uh, after I graduated Peabody, I was, um, working as a voice teacher at a couple schools in the area and, um, maintaining my church job at the National Shrine and, um, and then, uh, just finally had the realization that I can, that I can and, and go, f go for this career in, in more of an ensemble and choral music, um, path. And so, so that started with, um, uh, I was able to connect with the director of a professional choir in, in, uh, in DC. And then I sent, an audition tape to um, the Oregon Bach Festival um, uh, choir director, and that summer of 2019 was sort of my first uh, foray into working in a professional choral space and working with the uh, Oregon Bach Festival choir really sort of connected me, and it all of a sudden just dropped me into this world where I, and I was meeting, I met probably 30 or 40 other singers who were in that choir that year who, who, uh, were working in this, in this field. And so, yeah, I guess the summary is that it was always kind of there in the background and I, I wanted to do it, I think, but I, I just was held back by the notion that opera had to be the way that it, that it went. And, and for various reasons, I followed the opera path for a while, and um, it was really successful for me while I was at Peabody. I got a lot of great roles and um, had a great relationship with my teacher, still do. And, um, and, and, and then finally, once I was out of school, the dust settled, and I was able to then turn my focus into, into what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious to go back to kind of that, because sure. it seems like there's a lot that comes from the shrine yes. and, and your job there. So yeah. I'm curious if you can uh, explain a little bit about, like, what was the process of finding and getting that job? Was it just a simple audition? So it was it was the National Shrine Choir, but um, now that you've brought it back to that, how I got to the shrine initially was through working with Baltimore Choral Arts Society. Um, and... I was a paid ringer, a uh, professional ringer for, for them for, for many years, um, right before I went to Peabody and then I took some time off, um, during Peabody, but I, um, knew I, I was, I was able to get connected with, with, uh, one of the mezzo-soprano ringers, Jana Kreitz, who's also a Peabody graduate, uh, and she had been singing at the shrine for several years and, um, 
she mentioned to me one day, hey, there's a there's a baritone opening. I can put you in touch with Peter, the director. And and that's that's how that sort of thing emerged. That's how that's how that path emerged for me. Um, and yeah, so it was a it was a mix of word of mouth and then connecting with the director and auditioning. And then I was sort of brought on as like, uh, here's a, you know, we'll have, have you come in on a Sunday as like sort of a trial run. Like once you, you know, sing a solo work, you know, then he wants to hear you in rehearsal and in context of, of singing in the, in the mass. And then he offered me, offered me the job. And so for about four and a half, five years, that was sort of my, my community of, of folks that, that I, you know, uh, that I worked with and, and, and sang with. And, and, uh, I also knew that I worked with, um, working with those people, seeing what they did and, and the other ensembles that they worked with and seeing that they were, that they were working, <laughs> they were working musicians in, in, in those choral and ensemble spaces, um, seeing other people do it helped me realize helped me realize that I could do it. What were the skills that you felt like you you had or maybe were still building when you like started that job? Like what were the things that you felt like you needed to be able to have sure. in order to accomplish that well and be sure. successful at that audition or successful yeah. in that position? So so sight reading was one of them. I think I was a good enough sight reader to get the job and then two, being able to to listen to what the director has to say and to follow directions into what they have and what they what they what they uh are asking for and um not singing like you're on the opera stage and i sort of came into into that uh singing kind of like it was all solo work but then <laughs> you really learn to mo really mold yourself into into an ensemble and taking taking those you know uh taking those things into, into consideration to uh, really achieve like an, an ensemble sound. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm curious. So um, what was it? You said that you were, you were teaching for a while after you graduated yeah. and like, what was your teaching load like? And what was it that, that made you feel comfortable enough? Was it just that, that time with Oregon Bach Festival and seeing the other professionals that made you feel comfortable enough to give up that, that piece? Teaching. I was teaching and working freelance for uh, for several years, and I have actually just um, this year was my final year teaching, and I will be full free freelance this year. So um, got through those first two years of the pandemic, really leaning hard on on my teaching, and it was really a lifesaver for for a lot of things and to be able to continue to pay the bills when all of the work uh, sort of collapsed. And I, I was in, in 2019, I was really sowing the seeds to, to work more in, in 2020. And I had a lot of gigs lined up in spring of 2020. So those all fell, right? We all know how that happened. And uh, the, <laughs> the following year, um, what was so great, what was so nice about, the ensembles that I worked with is that they they've honored these contracts and then in 2021 um, and 22 we were able to come back and and do those projects that were uh, uh, initially 
re that were rescheduled from 2020 we were able to do the, that following season and so so i was able to thankfully maintain relationships with with those ensembles throughout that time so i think that was that was really helpful and um it was always sort of a, a, a an idea i had in my head that i would teach and freelance at the same time and see kind of where it lands if i end up doing more teaching or more freelancing um and what kind of balance that looks like and uh the 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 bookings for for gigs just just got more and more and more and it was a balance of 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 and sort of a heart decision of mine to to um pursue freelancing and um in in earnest this year and see how it goes so you mentioned you were sowing seeds for for increased work and it, i mean i i already intuit and understand how yes. much of this is relationship management but i'm mm-hmm. wondering if you can talk about what your process is for kind of that sowing seeds for work like what does that mm-hmm. look like what's a what's a an oh, afternoon block of of work in the sowing seeds for future work um a lot of emails <laughs> um i think the biggest thing is is i i saw i saw people working and doing work with ensembles and doing solo gigs that i wanted to do and i was like how do you how do you do that and a friend of mine said well they're not they're not going to, you're not going to be able to work with them if they don't know who you are. And so you have, like, you have to get over that initial sort of hump of just cold emailing people. And so I did that for a while and I, I, what did you say? I still do, I still do that. Um, I, you know, send a short email introducing myself and, um, offering recordings of mine and, and a resume and, um, you know, kind of, you know, offering it in terms of, Hey, if you have any openings this season for me to come in and, and maybe sub in, if somebody, you know, has, uh, takes another gig, let me know. I'd love to connect. Um, it also helps if, if you're, if you get connected with somebody who's in that ensemble, and that's where that's where going to Organbach really helped because I met a lot of people who were in other ensembles. I became friends with them, and then I said, "Hey, I really want to sing for uh, San Fe Desert Growl," you know. And, and and yeah. So then, when you write to somebody, you you essentially do you know you essentially name drop and and <laughs> and say that you know. You know, with with that person's consent, you know, of course, to say like, hey, like I'd love, you know, uh, and when I write to a director, say, you know, so and so recommended that I that I write to you. I would love to sing for you, and uh, if there's any openings this season or or next season, or if you'd like to coordinate uh, an in person audition uh, as well. Um, yeah, I think that really that really helps with with having having friends and colleagues that support you that that will that will essentially vouch for you right. and yeah, it's a reference. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, reference references are good because then more often than not, people have then my friends have commun- references have communicated with that director. Hey, you right. should you should uh, consider this person. 
Well, as a as a sidebar, I, I'm yeah. curious if you've also experienced this, but my experience has been working in more choral ensembles, especially ones where you're local. Yeah, is it doesn't just breed other choral work; it breeds solo work because Absolutely. all the local professionals are in. Like, it's, I mean, it sounds like all the choral professionals are at Oregon Bach Festival, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. these people are looking for. They're in situations with other people who are connected and looking for performers. Mm-hmm. And so if they know you, know you're around, they mm-hmm. can then have the opportunity to recommend mm-hmm. you. And I've gotten a lot of work that yeah. way. There was, there was a lot of cold emailing with references before. And yeah, and, but then, uh, you know, last year especially, I was getting lots of emails out of the blue saying, hey, we'd, we'd love to have you for this, that, and the other. And I would... Like to imagine that, you know, they didn't, I didn't just come to them in a vacuum that they, (laughs) that they, uh, that it makes me so grateful to, to, you know, build relationships and friendships with, with the people that I'm singing with and to be nice to people on gigs because, um, I don't know necessarily who recommended me for, for, uh, you know, set gig with set ensemble. You don't always know. Sometimes a director or a presenter will will say, hey, so-and-so recommended you for this gig. Can you do it? Um, but a lot of the times, it's, you know, the director, a director of a group will just write to you and, and say, hey, are you available? And so you don't always know who did it. And so it's always like, I'm, I'm grateful to the people that I might never know who, who recommended, who recommended me for the gig. Um, so it's, it's always so important, I think. Can we go back? So you, you, yeah. you were talking a little bit about, uh, in the course of your you know, calendar keeping, deciding what gig to take. Sure. And I guess I'm curious about what your process is. If you do have a conflict, how do you decide what gig to take? If the gig that is already on my calendar is a gig that I'd rather do, I'm just going to take That's easy. and do that gig. It's <laughs> super easy. Um, uh, I think... Ideally, you know, you you don't want to piss off other people by, you know, ditching a gig for another gig. Sometimes it doesn't always look good if it's not done in kind of a delicate way, sort of a delicate. It can be a delicate process, and it's a very situational by situational thing. <laughs> uh, um, and, but if it's... If it's a gig that is paying more money and it and it is a step up from the gig that you already have on your calendar, I say go for it. Um, but don't make that decision alone. Talk to friends and teachers and mentors uh, to see if, you know, is this worth taking over this gig? Is it a lateral move? Is it a lateral move to, like from one pro ensemble to another, or is it, is it a, uh, international solo (laughs) debut, (laughs) you know, like that is a, that is a really stark contrast. And, uh, I think it's helpful to talk to somebody else about it and get a perspective as to whether it's something that you want to do. Um, in terms of, I think, taking gigs, I think it, you know, it's, I think it's a matter of, of, of music, uh, time commitment and, uh, who else is, is on the gig. And, and you're, you're never always going to have a perfect storm of, of 
uh, of those of those three things. Um, usually, it's it's one or two over the other, and um, and you and you kind of make it work. I've done I've done many different gigs where it's the pay has been really good, but the the repertoire is leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> and then, but but the friends, it's a cool hang for for the week that I'm that I'm doing that. Since you graduated, what has surprised you about your life? What has surprised me in the choral space and the small ensemble space is is how um, how supportive everyone is with each other. And um, for me personally, that is not what I got from the opera world. It was a, it's a very individual track and an individual pursuit and um i felt a sense of competition among like the entire landscape of like opera singers that just didn't feel um super healthy and i think that like the whole notion of competition is a fallacy i think that um you know, it's not about like sidelining yourself and blocking other people off from you, stepping on other people in order to get ahead. It's about using your network and working out instead of up. And I think there's a real sense of that in choral music because like it, it is like a team sport and you have to rely on, on, on the other people in order to like do the concert. I mean, that also happens in opera too, to some extent, but, but there there just is more of a sense of, I think, community and camaraderie that um, that was like, oh, a nice, a nice surprise. <laughs> and uh, compared to to, uh, you know, being in school and, and being in, in the opera world. And because that that comparison game for me was was, was huge, was huge at Peabody and, and hindered me to some to some extent, it is a dangerous, dangerous path, I think. And, um, I realizing that, you know, it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. Cause I think we all have unique gifts that we can, we can bring to, to, to this world. And, um, we can bring to, to our musical, you know, uh, our musical pursuits that, that nobody else has, you know, you know, everyone, you know, there's always going to be a singer that can sing higher than you, that can sing lower than you, that has, a, that has you know, different colors, timbres, textures that might be, you know, more appealing to somebody, you know, or to an audience. But there's always something that you have that is unique. And I think in this world of Instagram and social media, really painting a, a, a glossy picture of what, like, an artist looks like, it looks like everything is perfect and but you don't see the work that goes on behind the scenes, you know, the, the blood, sweat and tears and the work that is, that has gone into it and, uh, and the support that we get from each other. And I think that the, the, when, when your work lines up with an opportunity, you know, that's, that's for you. And that was, that was made for you and nobody can take that away from you. And I think that we all, we all have a value and we all, we all have something that we can, we can bring to the table. Yeah, totally. I think that there's so much to, um, this idea that, yeah, working, I like that idea of working laterally rather than working like yes, vertically. Cause I, exactly. it's, it's, I, I agree with you that the coral world is much more interested in like, okay, we're going to create more opportunities, not take more opportunities. Yeah. We're not right? going to step all over other people, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so 
into the other, like, how can we make more opportunities rather Absolutely. than just fighting over what exists? Absolutely. When we work, our network works out instead of up, we work with each other, we help, we help each other to succeed, and we help each other to get ahead, right? rather than, you know, shoving everyone else to the side and, you know... Well, we expand the network of people who get to experience the art. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To kind of wrap up, there's a couple of questions that I'd like to ask everybody. Oh. Um, the first one is, I'm curious if there's, you know, anything that you have been listening to or reading or kind of interacting with you want to share or talk about a little bit. Oh, man. This is, this is, we are in Baltimore, in Baltimore-related, uh, uh, Baltimore-adjacent. Um, I've been, I've been reading the, uh, the autobiography of uh, John Waters' autobiography and sort of told through the, uh, through essays of, of role models that, that um, influenced him. It's called Role Models. Um, <laughs> uh well, there were so many musical um, influences that he had, which was which was really interesting, um, uh, and also like just people people you wouldn't you wouldn't um, you wouldn't necessarily expect, and a, and a lot of people who who were um, who were in who were in Baltimore and uh, stories of people that that just he he knew, and it was a really unique uh, it was a really unique sort of thing. Um, uh, I've been listening uh, to a lot of uh, sort of in the in the classical Baroque uh, 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 music. I've been listening to a lot of uh, Purcell's Hail Bright Cecilia. Um, so I'll be singing that with Washington Bach consort this season, and you know it just it slaps as the kids say. <laughs> it's it's so it's so fun and florid, and uh, Purcell was just the master of of uh, uh, you know rhetoric um for that time uh in terms of like popular kind of music my shirt says the mountain goats they're a great indie band shout out to them uh just saw them uh live in north carolina last week when i was down there for vacation and sort of lined up uh uh in a in a good way to be able to see them the the the, the music is uh, the 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 lyric it's the lyricism, I think, is is powerful, really powerful. Uh, poetry and storytelling, and each kind of each song that they write is is um, like a like a miniature novel, like a novella, and and it to me it relates a lot to to art song in, in that way. It's like there are just these really kind of like detailed, lovely, amazing stories. Uh, then to close things out, I'm wondering if you have any advice you'd like to offer to current Peabody students. That sounds so cliche, but like, don't be stuck in 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 one sort of idea of what your career might be, um, because ev every artist's path is so um, it's so different and winding, and and there are so many twists and turns, and not everyone's path looks looks exactly the same um, and don't compare yourself to people in that way. Like your path is your path. And, um, and you know, yeah, it's just it'd be, be cognizant of that, that every, every artist's path is weird and winding and beautiful and different. And it's in its own way. And I think if you are, um, if you are insistent and adamant about, about 
you know, pursuing, pursuing a life in music, it, it will happen. And like, that is a, that is a big trust that I had to, to have in, in the universe and that I still have to recommit to, um, you know, every once in a while. And, and I, <laughs> that that's really, um, it's, it's really important. I think if, you know, to, you, you will have, you will have a life uh, in music if you work for it. Well, let's end there. Ross, right. thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat. And thank it's, you. Uh, Thanks for having me. We'll close out the episode with an excerpt of Ross singing Von Williams' Dona Nobis Pacem with the Maryland Choral Society. 